I was just telling Danny how I have this job now, upcoming, where I have to do some kind of British accent, but it's not really important what kind of British accent I do. So I'm watching um, Matthew McFadden interviews because people say that I look like him. So I just figure, like, if I look like him, then I might as well acquire his accent. I tell you what, I actually, I think I'm having a problem finding a guest for the Toy Story episode because because it was released in 1995. It is just before a lot of people we know were born. Like, me personally, I think my first Toy Story experience was with no, Toy Story. No, don't say it yet! Don't say it! We gotta save that content for the episode! But you can keep asking, for, it's like a conversation. No, you I'm just... <laughs> yes, don't say what uh, your first experience is yet. That's gonna be it's not, Toy it's, Story. It's just, it's just Toy Story 2 came out in 1999, so it's it's like, you know, you have to be a functioning human being to remember Toy Story. And that is just a few years older than most of the people we know who would want to come on the show and all of that sort of thing. But, yeah, that's what I've been up to. I've been trying to find a guest for our Toy Story episode. What What have we, you been up to? We have to know some people older. But, okay. Uh, I'm sure we so, do. But. I came on here to somewhat talk about Hard Boiled, but not really about the movie. Is I had this realization while watching the movie. Uh, I saw it at the Gene Siskel Center on a 35mm print. And my Showtime. This is what I'm I'm here to talk about Showtimes. That's, okay. Obviously, like, 7 p.m. is probably the ideal movie time, right? Like, that is the time you go to the movies after work or, like, in the evening after dinner. Like, 7 p.m. is, like, the movie time to go to. For a movie like Hard Boiled, sure, there was a 7 p.m. time, definitely would go to it, 100%. Otherwise, the best time for a movie like Hard Boiled is midnight, because that's, like, because uh, by the time you hit 11.30, that, if you're awake and you're trying to stay awake, your body finally realizes it. This showtime was at 9.15 p.m. I've realized while watching, this is the single worst show time to have a movie at. Because you're tired. That's that's basically the whole topic I wanted to bring here, is that I was annoyed the showtime was at 9.15, because I got out at 11, and I was still really tired. <laughs> like The entire movie, I was tired. Even though I enjoyed it still, and I thought it was great. It's just like, this movie should be at midnight, or it should be at 7. I'll play devil's advocate just to say that if a movie is ends later, I like to go home and sleep. Like, I don't need to have things going on when I go home after a movie. It's probably better for me if I do just go home and sleep, because when I see a movie in theaters, I'm usually really wound up by the end of it. So a 9.30 or whenever movie for me would be all right. I think if a movie is at 7 and then it ends, I have to, like, deal with my emotions afterward, which is the opposite of fun. I would rather just no, see but then it we gotta talk about it because I saw it with Julius and his friends, so we could talk about it more afterwards. But really, honestly, once we got on the aisle after the movie, we're just like, um, "That's your other mistake is seeing a movie with people." Uh, well, actually, I've realized that too. That uh, one of the things I hate the most is when I leave a movie and I I really like it, and I ever saw it with someone who didn't like it, or they saw someone, or it's when it's the opposite situation. Like I always think about. When I saw Logan Lucky with... Ju no, no, it wasn't Logan Lucky. It was Unsane. I saw with Julius and Gene, both friends of the podcast. They were Donovan. They are like, that was really great. One of the best movies I've seen in a while. And I was like, it was good. Like, if you didn't say that to me, I would have probably liked it more. It's kind of yeah. like also... This is, a, this is something else that's been driving me crazy. I have a friend of mine uh, who has this bad habit. 
he doesn't listen to this, and if he does, I'll tell him I love him afterwards. Uh, he has this really bad habit of he's my friend who works in New York uh, at one of the at a company. I don't even know what company, but like this press for movies. So he sees a lot of movies early and he saw Top Gun Maverick and he texts me afterwards and he goes, you know, if the year remains weak, I could see Tom Cruise getting a best actor nom. And here's the thing. I've seen the movie. That's ridiculous. Second, I hate when people see blockbusters or even like A24 movies before me. One, I hate that. I like seeing a movie first. But moreover, I hate mm-hmm. when they see it and they text me like, this deserves Oscar noms. Like, I loved, loved everything everywhere all at once. But my fr- this guy saw it before me and goes, I could see Michelle Yeoh getting an Oscar nom. And I got so annoyed by that. I was like, uh, and you know, I saw the movie and I legit think she could get one now. But it's like, I don't want to go into the movie in March thinking about what Oscars could this get? The Oscars aren't for another year at that point. I wonder if I can think of any really good post-movie talks I've had. I what a Logan. genre of conversation I Lo- that is. I remember us going to Steak and Shake and talking about Logan and having a really good conversation. Same oh, thing yeah. when we went to I see Silence. Like seven people. When we went to see Silence, we went to Red Robin afterwards. We were all we all adored the movie. Oh, we had a, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that was well, really... I'm... Well, that was Those more are... a gush session, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking those were like events because it was all us, all our friends, and it was a big group, and we were going out to eat afterwards. I'm trying to, th- I'm thinking more of like if it's you and one person, and then you have a conversation in the car that kind of changes your opinions about the movies, something like that. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm reaching for something that hasn't actually happened to me, but it's, it's interesting to think about. Yeah. Now, now but, I'm stuck in this wormhole. We got to talk about the movie. Yeah, which is. I guarantee you. I guarantee you, I'm I'm pretty sure this entire build up to Tom Alexa Jr. is going to be way longer than our discussion of Luxo Jr. But we'll see. Might, we'll see. It might be, but I'm actually I'm glad that we're doing Luxo Jr. This as soon as I watched rewatched Luxo Jr. for this episode, I was like, all right, finally we have arrived. I have thoughts about this movie. It was part of my childhood. Rewatching it has given me so much. Um. I I felt things while I watched this movie. I'm I'm glad we're talking about Luxo Jr. This is a recurring segment on all my podcasts, which is Danny complains about the UI of streaming services. Uh, the what? <laughs> the the UI user interface. The user interface of streaming services. I always oh, yeah. think are really bad. It's not really the interface that's bad, but it drives me crazy that this is marked on Disney Plus as a film that came out in 1999. You know why though, right? Yes, I do, and that's part of why I'm tying everything to... But go on, yes. No, well, no, that's just basically my whole point, uh, is that this shouldn't be marked as 1999, because it's weird, because they actually have a part at the bottom of the Pixar page that you can go to Pixar Through the Ages, and this should very obviously be after Adventures of Andre and all it be, but just skips to Redstream, which, spoiler alert, is what we're covering next week. But also, is it really a spoiler ever on this podcast when we're going to say what we're going to cover next week? All this info is out there of what we will cover. You can just go to... List of Pixar movies or Pixar shorts on Wikipedia. Know exactly what we're going to cover. So, <laughs> I think it, it's a bit of a spoiler if you don't know some of the lesser-known short films. But, but speaking anyway. of 1999, that is what I was going to say about how I discovered Luxo Jr. was probably on the release of Toy Story 2 when it came out on home media, and I can't remember if it was VHS or DVD or whatever. But I think my grandparents had the VHS. I think, and that's I, how I found it. I would go over to their house and watch movies all the time, and that's probably how I found this for the first time. 
Not in 1999. It was, you know... No. Yeah, it would have been like 2001, 2002. I had the VHS tapes of Toy Story, Toy Story 2 as well. Uh, And you're right. It was definitely on there because I remember... Because you newfangled kids in your Disney Plus, and if it was ten years ago, I'd still say you newfangled kids in your DVDs. You could not skip this. Obviously, you had to re- fast forward through it. And honestly, with how short this is, it's kind of like hi, Bobber. You know, like. But you're right. It was. I remember it would be like there's commercials for whatever movies are out, and then I remember there was like a thing where it's like stay after the movie to watch. Woody's Roundup music video. And then it would be like the short. Oh, yeah, with those three guys or whoever, and they're playing in the studio. It's wild that that was part of it, because that was always so unappealing to me. Maybe we should say this for, like, Toy Story 2 and talking about the release of Toy Story 2. Luxo Jr. When did you first encounter Luxo Jr.? Probably the exact same way. Although, uh, and I will save this more for the Toy Story 2 episode, I did see Toy Story 2 in theaters. So I have to assume I saw this in theaters. Um, Wait, actually, now I'm curious. Was it attached in theaters? I think it was. Because I know Jerry's Game, which is coming up, was also attached attached to um, Monsters, Inc. Listen up, listeners. (laughs) And Mark. Uh, This short was released in... Uh, theaters with Toy Story 2. However, it was preceded with, and this is actually, as soon as I read this, I was like, oh my gosh, I remember this too. It pre- it's, doesn't have the Pixar logo that we see on Disney+, Plus because the Pixar is the retro one. It has the Pixar logo that we all know and love, with Luxor Jr. in it, and then it cuts to like a card that says, in 1986, Pixar Animation Studios produced its first film. This is why we have a hopping lamp in our logo. And as soon as I read that, I was like, oh my gosh, I remember that card being on the movie. <laughs> like, I don't know about you, you probably, maybe you don't, you're not really giving me a face of recognition. No, no, like, no, as soon I, as I, read that, I didn't see it in theaters. No, no, because no, this was on the VHS tape too. I guarantee you. I guarantee you it was the Pixar logo, this card, and then Luxo Jr. appeared. Hmm. I'd have to go cross-check the VHS tape, which I know was at my parents' house, but I don't have a VHS player anymore. So <laughs> Yeah, I also don't have access to a VHS or, or these <laughs> DVD things. But I do remember that. I remember seeing the short. I don't remember what card card came before it. I was surprised when I rewatched this on YouTube. It's got that Pixar logo. That's the box with the little. No, it's like that on Disney Plus too. That's what I was saying. On Disney Plus, it doesn't have this card on it. I was expecting it to have this card on it. Good call Um, on them. I'm not a fan of the old Pixar logo. It's it's nice. It's cool. It's a bit of history. It's better than the Lucasfilms whatever. It looks like RuneScape. It does look like RuneScape. You're right. Uh, I love the Lucasfilms logo. What are you talking about? No, it's about the Lucasfilm logo, like the thing in front of uh, Andre and Wally B, the card. Oh, that's not really the logo. It's just the word Lucasfilms and yeah, yeah. It's, I couldn't remember. I'm talking what it's about the. I'm talking about the prequels Lucasfilm. In Do you know what my most watched video on YouTube is? Is that uh, this is this is related? It's a. Uh, uh, back when Disney bought Star Wars, the first time the Lucasfilm logo without the Fox logo in front of it was on the film was when they put the original trilogy on sale for digital for the first time. And someone posted it on Twitter, like, this is the new logo without the Fox logo on it. And uh, so I ripped the Twitter video, put it up on YouTube, and it has like a million views. <laughs> because... <laughs> Because it was the first time anyone could watch the uh, the new Lucasfilm logo, because it was way before Force Awakens came out. That it was you have this whole influencer life that I didn't know about based on this. Strong video. Bad once answered. Well, Strong Bad once answered my email. That's my most famous internet thing. 
I also went viral on film Twitter once on my account that's now private. My most famous internet thing was this is a bit this is too much of a tangent. I don't know. I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to debate about whether I have to cut this out later on, so I'll save this for another time. Um I'm sure we'll talk about the internet but, again. <laughs> oh sure yeah, we'll the, the internet'll come up again. Um <laughs> But Luxo Jr. So if you don't know the short, highly unlikely or maybe not, yeah. I don't know. It's well, I'm it, sure you know the character. You have to know the character, Luxo Jr. Yeah, so two lamps, big lamp, small lamp. Big lamp is m more mature somehow. Big lamp's chilling. Small lamp comes on, bouncing a little ball. Goes off screen, comes back on screen, bounces ball again, deflates ball accidentally, becomes sad, sad leaves, comes back with larger ball. Big lamp shakes its head. That's the whole thing. But I love this short film. It is awesome. And it there's so much in it that really i think influenced the way i think about performance and animation and storytelling it's it i rewatching this makes me realize how formative this was watching this when i was 6 or whatever in my grandparents house yeah i would agree it's um it's a significant step forward in like cuz i we've talked about it even in the uh What's it? The pencil one. How that characterized the pencil and gave a lot of the... Uh, what's the word for it? I always forget the name. But like, cubanistic characterization to that. Like, a lot of good character animation there. But it feels like a big step forward here, too, that these lamps are like... They're great! Like, I feel like the full emotional arc there. It definitely does feel like a father and his son, which is kind of cool. Or a mother and his daughter, I guess. The, they're lamps, they don't... The mother yeah. and her daughter... Uh, a person the in their slams. offspring. Yes, I yes. should, yeah. I was like, oh, like, I wanted to make... So, watching the pencil test and watching Luxo Jr., I feel like there is some discovery between those movies where you see what inanimate objects make good characters. And this is not a hard rule, but this is something I feel like I learned watching these two movies, that... The lamps have points of articulation, so you don't have to distort them like you did with Andre and Wally B or with the pencil. The pencil I found very unexpressive. And I, I mean, I'm not... I, th I think the pencil test is, is kind of all over the place in its characterization and storytelling. But I feel like that is the big discovery for me, potentially for the filmmakers moving from Andre and Wally B to Luxo Jr. and then later to Toy Story is that if you have things like toys or just objects or whatever which have these points of articulation, then you've got a character and you've got something you can work with right away. And I think not only does that simplify in some ways your job as an animator because you know what parts of your character move i think that it is an important way to get the audience invested because even this morning while i was thinking about what we're going to talk about and going about my day i was looking around the room at bottles i have and i've got my own wire lamp with its with its stand on it and i was thinking about how these things could become characters and you could animate them 
it, it really got my brain working, and I think that's part of what was formative about it, is that when you make the characters lamps that move like lamps do, you can see those in the real world. Some people talk about this with Star Wars movies, and I've heard them talked about with other children's movies, how these characters can then become characters in the life of the kids who watch them, and they can get their imaginations working. And even when things like Buzz Lightyear toys came out, if they don't work like Buzz Lightyear works in the show, it's a little bit disappointing. Well, but that's yeah, not a problem I, that, with lamps because they're lamps, and you man, can you just you saying so that just made them. me go like I was so mad as a kid that there was never any Buzz toy. That, you know, like how Buzz he clicks his red button and it goes in and out. When you're a kid, the only ones they have is you click the red button and they come out. But if you click it again, nothing happens. They don't go back in. What do you mean? You mean on his so arm? when Buzz? No, 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 on his chest. Buzz, when he presses his red button on his chest, that's when the wings pop out. In the movies, it's also when he clicks it again. When they're out, they go back in. I had so many Buzz Lightyear toys. Not a single one of them had it. So if you click it, they go back in. And I get that why. That would be very hard to do. It would be very hard and not very uh, cost-effective to yeah. make toys like that. But it was still disappointing when you were a child. Um, but that's not the problem with Lamps or Rex the Dinosaur toys or Woody toys. It's, it's, it's kind of funny in a meta sense, that, and like, we should really table this conversation on Toy Story, but in a meta sense that, you know, like, the plot of Toy Story is that Buzz is the cool toy, and Woody is, like, the lame toy, even though Woody's the actual main character, but yet all of a sudden, no, but we want Buzz toys. <laughs> like, yeah. 100%. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to, to bring it back to, yeah. to Luxo Jr., um, when you watch the pencil test, are you talking about the wireframe test? Yes, it's called Pencil Test. That is actually what's titled. Like, if you look at the first page, no, the first, like, the title card for it says Luxo Jr. Pencil Test, but it is the wireframe version of the entire short. So, um, if y'all don't know what we're talking about, sometimes if you get the DVD bonus features for an animated movie or something that had a lot of visual effects, you can watch, like, storyboards or little rough animations with keyframes and some audio with them. Those are what pencil tests are. And they have different names based on where you are in the stages of production. But basically, that's what a pencil test is. It's like no colors, no, in this case, no textures. So you just see the outlines of the lamps doing their actions. And you can you can look at the timing yeah. before you commit to a lot of other decisions. I, I kept on going on these tangents instead of responding to your whole point. Which is, um, I think people always talk about this. And this is why Toy Story is about toys, right? is they look at the limitations of technology. It's like, what can we make look real? Plastic. These lamps are plastic. Um, and honestly, they look really great. Like, today, yeah. I'm like, these. this short was not remastered. This is how it looked. Even the ball looks really good. And again, the ball is plastic, so that makes sense. Yeah. And I guarantee you, I know what's coming up with the shorts we're going to cover coming up. None of them look as good as Luxo Jr. does. And what's also really cool about Luxo Jr. that you didn't mention and that you wouldn't notice from the wireframe test really is that the other thing that computer animation really allows for, other than obviously everything we've talked about so far, is lighting. You can't get the dynamic lighting period in a uh, traditionally animated movie. It's just a fact. My point is, is that the lighting also still looks accurate for the most part i'd say like and it's a nice i don't want it feels kind of dull in the sense that light bulb lights are dull i don't know it's just it really looks good 
Yeah. And you still get that emotional connection of the father and the, excuse me, the parent and the child. Don't gender uh, the lamps. I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Actually, but, can uh, we talk about some assumptions about the genders of the lamps? Because I feel like association-wise, maybe because you think of boys playing with oh god we're gonna games. dive into my that's gender biases right now <laughs> yeah my, i mean maybe that's, that's that might be biases. where that comes from and i think also like you know it's like well i don't know because i was gonna say maybe it's like also like i assume it's a man because dad playing catch with their kids but Blackso senior does not really want to play catch he's kind of annoyed by the whole thing which is another stereotypical father trait so Boy, I he's think... annoyed by it you think he's an absentee dad yeah I'm saying okay. because we know of something called an absentee dad, we we think that the large lamp in Lexa Jr. is is a male. Um, and also because I think if you look at credits, it says Lexo Jr. and Lexo Sr. And I think, you know, even calling him Junior. Well, now I'm, now I'm doing it. I'm gendering the lamps because <laughs> Junior is usually something you hear for It's true. For I only have ever met... I've never met a female person who goes by junior like yeah the you, second you do. sure yeah but never really like a junior what an unexpected huh. productive conversation about some of the gender assumptions in lexo jr but again also we shouldn't assume they're lamps they don't have genders we should be referring to them with no, I mean, of course not. not. Of course not. I'm, I'm just, say, I'm just saying. How... They're it's. That's what they're... they are. But this, but this is something, too, is even when I was watching this when I was six, that was going into my brain. So if I, when I was making animations later on with inanimate objects and things like that, some of those gender assumptions do come up again. Even with inanimate objects there are certain tropes that pop what up is an, as you, as you have to give them character. What do you think is an inanimate object that could be done in a short like Luxo Jr. or like a stop motion short that like us in college could have made that would be assumed female? I think that based on the conversation we're having, a lot of these assumptions come from the story and context, and it's about how... You know, we're, we're bringing up things like how the lamps are named, ball... Yeah, because, like, if Lexo Sr. Um, was sending, like... Let's say, like, this was about, like, Lexo Sr. is trying to cook or something. You know, like, I'm giving a very blatant stereotype. Trying to cook a dinner for Lexo Jr. Yeah. Or something <laughs> like I would assume it's mom. Like, and that's bad. Yeah. That's terrible of me. But also, I was watching this when I was, like, five. So, yeah. like... This is the stereotypes that were about to be given, embedded in me at that age, right? So that's my response, is these are gender roles. They're not inherent to an inanimate object, like, it's hard to think of something that is better as a character than a movable lamp, but maybe something like... Man, now you're reminding me that I got really mad at Toy Story 4, jumping way ahead of this podcast, Mm -hmm. where, like, Forky is coded male obviously but like he's a fork he can be whatever he wants to be or they can be whatever they want to be rather um but then in the credits you've seen toy story 4 right i actually have not 
Oh, then I, I can't say. I'm sorry. I, I'm going to hold the spoilers just, up. You spoil it. I, I don't care about spoilers. Well, I, I won't if say I exactly seen Toy Story 4 well, yet, no, I probably need a spoiler it, to get me into it. It is a good joke. But it's one of those things where... Okay, I'm going to tell a story about something else, and then I'll loop it back to Toy Story 4. Is I remember when How to Train Your Dragon 3's trailer came out. And the plot of How to Train Your Dragon 3 is Toothless mates with another person, another dragon... And I remember there being an outrage on Twitter that both seemed half joking but half serious that, of course, Toothless has to be straight, right? Like, of course, Toothless has to be straight. We can't give him a boyfriend. Uh, he has to be heteronormative and in a relationship like that. And they do that with Forky in Toy Story 4 in the credits. And it's kind of like, I don't know. It's something where, like, heteronormative. With- well, you're going to have to wait to find out. You have a spoiler now to be excited to watch Toy Story 4 in two years. Anyway, Luxo Jr. Uh... Luxo Jr. What, what was okay? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm happy we'd have to talk about gender roles, but I brought I brought a lot to what we were whatever we were talking about. What What do you think about Luxo Jr.? I mean, I think it's good. Uh, I think it kind of is like Wally B to me. I think it's better than Wally B, much better. But it is something where it's more interesting for the historic context of it than anything else. This was, this was actually something, I, I made the joke about it, but I would fast forward through this on the Toy Story 2 DVD. I don't really think I like any of these early Pixar shorts, spoiler alert for my opinions on the road, until probably Jerry's game. Maybe, um, I, maybe I have the connection because a lot of the things that I used to make were with kind of inanimate objects with some yeah. with a bit with a bit of characterization and i see a lot of that in this like i'm sure i'll love jerry's game but if you i i, I try not to hide old short films cuz i think that's kind of it obscures the process of artistic growth but they're not good so they're probably hard to find but a lot of things that i made when i was much younger have these they're just a lot like Luxo Jr. in in a lot of the ways we've we've been talking about. So when I watched this, I was like, "Wow, I can really trace a direct line for me thinking like this is how movies should be made, and this is how comedic timing works, and you should put jazz music in the backs of your short films." A lot of a lot of it comes from there, even though probably when I, I was so. a kid, you know, I had I thought about Whoa. it like you did. And I was Jerry, like, I don't know. Jerry's what this game is about. has a jazz music too. So uh, what I will say with the pencil test is because I want to talk more about the pencil test than Luxo Junior. I have two last things to say about the total pencil test. What I thought was interesting about the pencil test, I don't know if you noticed this, is that the part of the lamps, the vent, is just a blur. It's just a yeah, blur I did notice the pencil that. Test. And I was like, that's really weird. I was actually reading about the purpose of pencil tests a little bit before we came on. And for something like that, where it's wireframes, one of the reasons you would make a test like that is to try and cut down on your polygons. So it's possible mm. that for a complex shape like that, which would not move, but would probably be... I, I would have to go back and watch the... But it, if it might be complicated, I can see why you would just blur it out or not waste time rendering that when you're making the test to see how the characterization works. That makes sense. No, it does make cool. sense. Um yeah, sorry. Because it's, like, okay. it's all about because com- it's all about computing power. So you want to try and cut down on all the shapes if you can. The actual legacy of Luxo Junior is that it is the Pixar logo. Uh, yes. And to me, the biggest like throwback I was given during this isn't really a throwback. It's just when you hear the the what noise that's in every Pixar logo. You know, before it starts hopping, it's like boo doo boo doo boo doo 
Yeah, yeah. I had that thought too. They nailed the sound first time out, and that's the same sound every time. Imagine if the sound. Imagine the Pixar logo was like Wally B stinging the eye. That would have. That would not be good. Luxo Jr. There, there's nothing really remarkable about Wally B, and I think Luxo Jr. is like we said. A it was nominated of, for an Oscar. Yeah, but it's really not that a the series of. Anything, but, but. but it's a series of of decisions that were all kind of practical and they all work together that's why it holds up wally b is a little bit more than the medium could handle but it is a test it's like luxo jr what are we talking about next time red's dream so pixar short it's pretty special i don't think i should explain the reason now because we have an entire podcast for that all right Uh, Looking for the Ocean, a Pixar podcast, is produced by Mark Young and Danny Vincent. I do the editing, and our artwork is done by Sarah Knopf. Yeah, and you can find us at Facebook at Looking for the Ocean, a Pixar Journey. You can find us on Twitter at Pixar Journey, and on Instagram at Looking for the Ocean Pod. You can also email us at Looking for the Ocean Pixar at gmail.com. If you want to know what I'm up to, everything is available on my website, markyoungperformer.com. You can listen to my other two podcasts, Wise with Ty and Dan and The Snub Club, wherever you can find your podcasts. You can also find me on Letterboxd at Blankment for all my takes on all the movies. We'll see you next time. See you next time.